Good to see everyone here tonight. Uh, especially good to see Linda and Alan with us, as it's been mentioned. Uh, it's a great day when they're able to be here on Sunday evening. And so I know we all rejoice with them because I know how much, and you know how much, they rejoice in being able to be here uh, tonight to be able to worship God together with us in spirit and in truth. Good to see everyone. This morning, I, this evening, I want to talk to us for a little while just basically about a challenge. I want to put a challenge before uh, each of us for this upcoming year, 2021. I certainly, and I know you do, hope and pray that this coming this year will not be nearly as difficult as 2020 was in so many different ways. It was uh, certainly a year that we'll not soon forget. But hopefully uh, things will be much better this year. But if not, uh, and things uh, continue the way that they have been in 2020, if it gets even worse, I believe the lesson that we have prepared tonight will be something that will be very beneficial to us in the this year now that we're in and uh, years to come. So I talked last Sunday evening a little bit about this subject, and that is loving one another. And so tonight I thought it'd be good just to go and uh, go a little more in depth, a little more in detail, a little more complete lesson than the Devo that I had last Sunday evening. So our lesson text that we're going to use is John 15, verse 12, and also verse 17. Here the Bible says, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Verse, uh, John 15, verse 12, and also verse 17. So I want to challenge us to love one another even more than we already do. The words of our text were spoken by Jesus to his disciples. His disciples were, of course, in the family of God. We too are in the family of God, as we know from passages like Galatians 3.26, where Paul wrote and said to the churches of Galatia, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So by faith, through obedience to the gospel, we all uh, that have obeyed the gospel are children of God, as were those that he was commanding to love one another and to love them as he had loved. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible says, Of whom the whole family in, earth, in heaven and earth is named. And so we are a part of the family on earth. Uh, we have not gone on uh, to heaven, and so we are... Uh, that includes us. This congregation is more like a family than any other that I know. Uh, some of you that have been at other congregations, you may be able to think back and say, well, you know what, I know of one that's uh, more like a family than even the Fairhope congregation. But I've been here, well, 19 and a half years. June will be 20 years that I've been here from the time that uh, my family and I came to work with you, this congregation. And, uh, of course, I had been at a few congregations before then, but not many. But I know of several. But it is my belief. And for me, I can honestly say this is the most like a family of any congregation that I know of anywhere. But having said that, I must caution us. You see, when you stop and think about it, who has hurt you more over the years, your enemies or your family? 
You see, your enemy can't hurt you like those that you love can hurt you, whether intentionally or unintentionally. As this congregation grows closer and closer together, we must be careful not to be so open that we hurt one another. You know, sometimes in our immediate family, sometimes we may say things very boldly and maybe even sometimes harsh or maybe even jokingly that we would never say to someone that's not in our family. But you know what? Even though we may be joking or may not be that serious about it, it can still be painful. We can hurt others. We can uh, cause them to feel disrespected, even though we may not intend to do that. When you're a part of a family, quite often you know things about your family members that the outside world does not know. So over the years, when I've noticed we have a little flare-up here, a little flare-up there, it kind of bothered me a lot at first, and then I realized, you know, this is just like my family. You know, you may say that everything runs smoothly in your household all the time and you never have these little flare-ups and disagreements and people hurt, you know, you hurt each other's feelings and, and you're rough with each other and say things you ought not to say when you're having a bad day or they're having a bad day, but, but really these things go on. It's a part of life. It's, it's in the best of families. And so I came to realize, you know what? This congregation is just becoming more and more like a family. But having said that, we do know things about each other because we're close to one another that we need to be very careful how that we treat one another and how that we are always respectful of each other and we're considerate of our brothers and sisters' feelings. We can't just say anything any old way we want to just because we're brothers and sisters and we're close. We must be extremely careful also when we discipline the children of others. Uh, we don't have a lot of children here, but over the years I've noticed that that has, been, uh, uh, has caused some issues in, in this congregation and others when someone takes it on themselves, the liberty to get on to someone else's child. Uh, I understand there are times I've actually even seen here when uh, a mother gave a, a plastic spoon to the teacher and the child, a spoon in one hand, child in the other, and said, take this child. And that was okay, but at the same time, you've got to be very careful with things like that. I never wanted someone discipline my children, other, you know, spanking them. Now, to correct them, that's one thing, and do it in the right way. But, but to spank them, to physically touch them, I never wanted that to be done to any of my children except by myself or by Aletha. I think, you know, that's the safe way. Take the child to the parent. But there are things like that that it, we've got to be very careful because you never know when you're going to do something in a way that's going to really set someone off and hurt their feelings that we don't really think that much about it because, hey, we're family. We're God's family on earth. But we need to be careful, very careful with that. We also must go to one another when our feelings have been hurt. Sooner or later... Mark this down. They will be. I'm going to hurt your feelings. You're going to hurt my feelings. We're going to hurt one another's feelings. We don't mean to. And we may not have intended to at all. But sometimes we say things in, way, in ways that don't come out just right. 
It doesn't sound just right. Or uh, having a bad day. Things like that just happen. And so in your own family, if something like that happens and your feelings get hurt, you don't just quit your family. You don't just say, oh, I'm done with this family because this person hurt my feelings. No. Listen, what you need to do in your family, it also is in the church family, is if someone says something or does something that bothers you, just go to that person. Go to that brother. Go to that sister. You know what? Things always work out when that is practiced. It's when we keep it in ourselves that it festers, that it becomes worse and worse, and then we start having feelings towards one another that's not pleasing in God's sight that will hurt what we have going on. And so... Yes, we're very close. We're a very close-knit family. People that visit us see that immediately. They see our love for one another. They see the closeness that we have for each other. We spend a lot of time with one another in each other's homes and in each other's company, and that's all good. But also, let's not take anything for granted. Let's be very careful. And 2021, as our love continues to grow for each other, and we grow closer together. Now, I want us to notice a few things. You see, our loving one another is not really optional in the first place. Because what did Jesus say? He commanded that we love one another as he had loved us. And so it's not optional. You see, Jesus made our loving one another a condition of salvation. He sure did. You see, Paul illustrates the importance of love in what we call the chapter of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in the first three verses when he names some amazing things, some amazing gifts. You know, that's in the context of spiritual gifts. But he says these are really to no avail. If you don't have love, it really doesn't do you any good. Things like he mentions, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or love, I am become of the sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. So they coveted that spiritual gift. I still don't know exactly why they all wanted to speak in tongues unless they believed that to be a sign that they had been saved. But they seemed to all want to speak in tongues. But Paul says, if you speak in the tongues of men, unknown languages, language you don't know, or in the tongues of angels, it's really not, much, not very profitable. It's not that good if, if it's not done with love. In verse 2 he says, Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, wouldn't that be nice? To be able to know the future, predict the future, and to know all mysteries, understand everything? There are so many mysteries today. Uh, but one mystery we do understand, the one that was hidden uh, from the angels in the Old Testament time and of the prophets that prophesied of it, but today it's revealed unto us. And that's how the Jews and Gentiles would both be saved in the same body, that body being the church of Christ. In the Christian age. We understand that mystery. But Paul says though. He, he goes to an extreme. You understand all mysteries. And, and you have all knowledge. And though I have all faith. So that I could remove mountains. And have not charity. He says I am nothing. See how important love is. Wouldn't it be great to have those gifts. I mean if. Yeah, they'll be very helpful, but it's not God's will for us to have them today because we've got the Bible, the complete will of God, which is even better. These were all temporary things in the first place. But notice verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, that's a very notable deed, isn't it? To give all, your, all you have to feed the poor? Uh, it's a pretty special thing to do that. But he says, 
And he goes even further. And though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. So you can have these gifts. They could, not us today, but they could have those gifts. But if they didn't have love, what good were the gifts? They could do a lot of charitable things, even giving all they had, going to an extreme again, and even giving their bodies to be burned. But yet, if they didn't do it because of love, it didn't profit them anything. And so we see love is extremely important. The things we do are worthless without love. Also, the Bible teaches that faith avails nothing without love. Remember Paul said in Galatians 5, 6, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. You see, you have faith, but that faith is, works by love. It's, it's motivated by love. And so, love is extremely important, and as we mentioned, it has been commanded, as in our lesson text in John chapter 12 verse 17 and many other verses do we read that is a command for us to love one another first Peter chapter 2 verse 17 you remember Peter said honor all men love the brotherhood that's more than just this congregation the brotherhood we love the church worldwide we love those that we've never even met because they're in the family of God and we've been commanded to love them. And we must keep his commandments in order to be saved according to Revelation twenty-two fourteen. Jesus said, blessed are they that do his commandments. Or it was written by John, blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. In order to enter into the heaven itself, we must keep the commandments of God. And he has commanded us to love one another. Now, my second point is this. Let's look at some of the fruits of love. Some of the fruits of love. A tree, according to the Bible, and of course we also understand this from day-to-day -day lives, a tree is known by its fruit. As is taught in Luke 6, verse 43 and 44, well, the Bible says, for a good tree bringeth forth, uh, uh, not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Now watch this verse. For every tree is known by his own fruit. So, when the fruit is inspected, one knows if the tree is a good tree or a bad tree, based upon the fruit. Well, when our fruit is inspected, it becomes known whether we are trees of love or we are not. We're good or we're not by the, the fruit that we produce, by the, the works that we do, by the things that people see in us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, after we see the importance of love, we have a wonderful and beautiful description of love given by the Apostle Paul, beginning there with about verse 4. And so first of all, I want us to notice some negative fruit of love. He starts off by saying, charity or love envieth not. That means does not have ill will toward the success of others. 
You know, there are some people that just seem like they hate for you to do well. They, they don't like you to be happy. They're miserable. They want everyone else to be miserable. Perhaps on your jobs, there's been times when you received a promotion and you could tell that some of your co-workers didn't really like that. They were not happy for you. Well, you know what? They didn't love you. Because if they love you, they will not envy your success. They will not envy you. And then Paul said, charity vaunt is not itself. That means it does not brag on itself. It does not brag on itself. An example would be the old Pharisee over in Luke chapter 18, verse 11 and 12, that went in the temple there where the publican was, and he began to boast upon himself, and he thanked God that he was not as other men, and not even like that old publican there. And he, he fasted twice in the day, he, in the week, he gave of his tithe. Oh, he was proud of himself. Because all that he had done, he was just bragging to God about how great a, of a person that he was. That, there's no love there. And then love is not puffed up. It does not have that I'm better than you attitude. It's just not there. It does not behave itself unseemingly. Always behaves decent and, and proper in the way that, that it should be. Seeketh not her own. You notice one thing you see about love. Love is, love is not selfish. When I think of this, of course, the whole thing, I, I, I think about God first because God is love. And so this is the description of God. You want, you want a good description of God? Here it is right here. He's love. But I also think of my mom a lot. And I can remember all those times that she would serve everyone in the house She'd make sure we all had food, we were all taken care of, and then she would take care of herself last. Unselfish. She would do without so that we would have more than what we actually needed, but, but that was because she loved us so much. She was never, ever selfish. And love is not easily provoked. It's not easily irritated or made angry. It's, it's hard for someone to get irritated with you or angry with you quickly when that person really does love you the way we've been commanded to love one another. That's not saying you can't, you can't make someone become irritated with you or angry with you because we know we all can, even those that love us. Uh, when we push them far enough and we're having a bad day, uh, we, can, we can do that. But it, it doesn't come easily. It's not easy to provoke them. They, they bear with us. Love thinketh no evil. It, it takes no account of evil. It's, it doesn't think evil of someone first. It's, it's slow to, to even think in that direction because love wants to think the best of everyone. And so, not doesn't think, thinketh no evil, doesn't surmise evil uh, about those that he loves. Also rejoices not in iniquity. Love is never glad when others do wrong. Some people like that because, well, they compare themselves with others, and so when someone else does wrong, they're kind of happy because maybe they don't feel like they're so bad. And so they would like for others to do wrong, and they can rejoice in it. Plus, they like for others to take part in their wickedness as well. But that's not love at all. Love is not like that. In Romans chapter 1, verse 32, 
after Paul gives that great list of sins. In verse 32 he says, Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And so they rejoice in the fact, not only do they live in sin, but they rejoice when others do the same. Well, that's not love. Love doesn't want people to do wrong. Love never faileth. Love never disappears. I mean, if you love me today, you're going to love me tomorrow. And you're going to love me next week, and you're going to love me the next week. It's not really based on how great I am. It's not really even based on how much I love you. My mom told my two sisters one time, she said, there's nothing that y'all can ever do to make me not love you. Nothing. As a young man growing up, hoping to be able to have a family one day, when I saw people who had godly families, it was not uncommon for me to ask to, uh, questions about what they were doing and how they were doing it so for their families to, to turn out so well. And I remember one time talking to an elderly preacher friend of mine, and he had four faithful children, and I was impressed by that. So I, I, I was talking to him one day, and he said, Mike, your children are going to mess up. They're going to do wrong. They're not perfect. You've got to realize that because you're not perfect. They're not perfect. They're just not going to be perfect. But one thing you need to let them know always is that no matter what happens, their daddy loves them. No matter what, you love them. You don't approve of what they do that's wrong. But you let them know that no matter what, you're going to love them. You're not going to ever stop loving them. And so that's the way love is. It doesn't disappear. It doesn't just go away. Can you just stop loving your children? Can you just stop loving your parents? Can you just stop loving brothers and sisters in Christ? Not, not if it's true love. It doesn't happen like that. Now let's look at some positive fruit of love. Some positive fruit. Same passage. Love suffereth long. That means love is very patient. I know my mom had to have a lot of love with me because I'm sure I tried her patience. And she eventually was able to pass me off to Aletha and boy did I try her patience. But she proved that she loved me unconditionally. Well, love suffered long. Love's patient. Love doesn't give up easily. Love hangs in there. Love is... Is kind. You hear me say this all the time. It's always right to be kind. Be kind, people. Be gentle, people. Love is sympathetic and gentle. Love rejoices with the truth. Love is, is, is gladdened by goodness. 2 John 1, verse 4. The Bible says, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. John said, when I saw your children walking in truth, I heard of that, I rejoiced, I was happy. Love is happy when others do what's God, what is God's will. It, it's a great encourager, isn't it? When you, when you know that there are those that are, are faithful in Christ, I think of our children, 
And when I hear of your children, those that I have known over the years and watched them grow up, and now they've moved off, and of course they, most of them, some of them went to college, and they took different routes, but a lot of them did that, and, and then they found their mates, and they married, and, and then they started their little families, and, and, and we hear, we get reports of how they're staying true to God, they're being faithful, they're teaching their little children the Word of God, they're, they're faithful in attendance, and they're doing all those things that we train them to do. That gives me great joy, whether it's your children or mine or who, whoever children it is. When I hear that they're doing right, it brings great joy to us, doesn't it? Sure it does. That's because we love one another's children. We love each other, and we love each other's children. And we all want each other's children to be successful and to faith, faithfully follow in the ways of the Lord and to bring their families up in that way as well. Love beareth all things. It's always slow to expose or to, to accuse. You know, some people are always looking for something, just trying to find something so they can tell the world something bad, negative. In Romans chapter 15, verse 2, the Bible says, Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. So I'm not saying you shouldn't expose error, but when error comes, we face it head on and we deal with it. But we're, we're not looking. We don't get any joy out of anything like that whatsoever. Love believeth all things. Always eager, really, to believe the best. Not just believe everything but that we hear. We're not gullible. We're, we're not like that, but... but we, we want to believe the best. We want to see the best in one another. Love hopeth all things. Love is always hopeful. It's bad when a situation is hopeless. We are hopeful because love, love is hopeful. And love endureth all things. Love is always patient. Very patient. You see, love is the first fruit of the Spirit, or the first one that's mentioned. When we read of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then joy, peace, long-suffering. The first one mentioned in that passage. Love is the spiritual fruit that gives flavor to all of our spiritual fruits. Point number three, some results of loving one another. Here are some results. If we love one another, God abides in us. And certainly we want God to abide in us. 1 John 4, verse 12. John wrote, No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. It also causes us to be knit together. As Paul wrote to the church at Colossae in Colossians 2, verse 2, when he said that their hearts might be comforted being knit together, notice this, in love. That knit together means united together, compacted together. They're compacted together in love. And then I want to notice a passage I'll read to you from 1 John chapter 3. Love encourages us to, to help one another. 
Beginning with verse 13 of 1 John chapter 3. John wrote, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso has this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And so love encourages us to help our brothers and sisters, to help those that are in need. And if we don't love one another, we hate one another, then, then we're in serious trouble with God and, and we're lost. Again, we must love one another. And we show that not by just saying, God bless you or I'd love to help you, but it's about meeting the needs of those that we love as we have opportunity. But also another result of loving one another is that it can cover a multitude of sins. Proverbs 10, verse 12. Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. How is that done? Does that mean we just, we just kind of cover it up, we just ignore it, we just push it to the side? Of course not. In James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. James said, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. How are they hid? They're covered by the blood of Jesus. When that person is restored, when that person is converted again, when he is made right with God because he repents and confesses, does the things that God's commanded, then the blood of Jesus washes away those sins, and therefore, because of your love for that person, you go to that person, you work with that person, you help that person to overcome whatever it is. Same thing as Galatians 6.1, For man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Consider thyself, lest thou also be tempted. But also, another wonderful thing about love is it will cast out fear. I don't like to be afraid, do you? I don't like to fear things. Well, notice 1 John 4, verse 18. John writes, There is no fear in love. It's not there. But love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. And you know what, uh, you know about torment. You're tormented when you're afraid. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Love for each other causes us to hope against hope, to stand by each other under all conditions, to be able to work together in spite of our imperfections, and we all have imperfections, and we prefer each other over the world. As Paul wrote in Romans 12, verse 10, when he said, Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. We pray for each other 
and we help each other in every good way. Point number four, some conditions of loving one another. Some conditions. It must be out of a pure heart. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Now to the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. It must be unfeigned. In other words, unfeigned means sincere, very sincere, genuine. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. And so our love for one another must be out of a pure heart. It must be genuine, unfeigned. It must be sincere. It must be without hypocrisy is how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 12 verse 9. Without hypocrisy. Um, the King James I believe says dissimulation which means hypocrisy. That goes back to being, again, sincere, unfeigned, out of a pure heart. That's the kind of love we're to have. It must be tender and affectionate. Romans 12:10. Paul said, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brother love in honor preferring one another. We cannot love God unless we love our brethren. It's a condition. 1 John 4, verse 20 and 21. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? I didn't say that. God did. That's the word of God. So some people say, oh, how I love Jesus, but yet they hate their brethren. They speak evil of their brethren. Well, John says, then you don't really love God. Another condition. Our love for each other must continue. It must abide. Hebrews 11, verse 1, let brotherly love continue. Very plain and simple. It must abound. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9 and 10. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And so our love for each other must abound. It must uh, overflow. It must continue. Uh, it should grow day by day. Our love for each other should grow stronger, as does our love for God. And then people who know will know that we are children of the Lord by the love that we have for each other. Uh, what are they going to think about us if we do not love one another? They think that we hate each other, we can't get along. Then uh, they're not going to think that we are really of God. But John 13, verse 34 and 35, the Bible says, The new commandment I give unto you, that's Jesus speaking, that ye love one another as I have loved you. That means to the degree that he has loved us. That ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye love one another. Just by our loving one another shows to the world that we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ.
And so I want to encourage each of us, not just in 2021, but for the remaining part of our lives, that we let love be a, a major part of our lives, that, that we focus on it. I'm not talking about this love that a lot of people throw around that's not genuine. I'm talking about genuine, sincere love and care one for another. That we will be there for each other as we have been in the past, but we'll, we'll always strive to improve. I know this congregation, I know the members love one another, but you know something? We can always improve. We can always do better. And love is the glue that's going to hold us together. That is love and truth. You see, you're here because you love the truth, right? And as long as the truth is here, that's where you're going to be. And the truth is what pulls us together. And love is what wraps around us and binds us together. And so may our love for each other grow with each day that we have in the future to be together. And so we have looked at the condition uh, that love is a condition of salvation. We have looked at it is the uh, fruit of love and some results of love and the condition of love. If you're here tonight, we all need to know without a doubt that God loves us. When you want to study about love, study about God. Because as John says, God is love. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, the world already stood condemned. He didn't have to send Jesus to the world to condemn the world. He sent Jesus to save the world because the world was already condemned because of sin. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when one commits sin, he's separated from God, Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. So God so loved man as evil and wicked and mean and ugly and unkind as he could be that he sent his only begotten son to die upon the cross of Calvary. Not just to live. He sent him to live a sinless life so that he could be that lamb without spot, without blemish. That it would take to be offered upon the sacrifice of the old rugged cross to be able to make atonement for the sins of mankind. God is love. You know something? The more we love, the more we become God-like. If you're here and you haven't obeyed the gospel, we encourage you to do so because God loves you. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for the unworthy, but yet he loves you, he loves us so much that he is willing to leave the glories of heaven, to come to earth, to suffer the many things that he suffered, and then to die upon the cross so that he might be our Savior. He is the only Savior today. And in order to be saved by that Savior, you must believe in him. You must repent of all your sins, Luke 13, 3. You must confess him before men, Matthew 10, 32. And you must be baptized, Mark 16, 16, in order to have your sins washed away, Acts 22, 16. If you're here today and you need to obey the gospel, if you're here and you need to be restored, we encourage you to come as together we stand and sing.